Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9, amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Five Wives Vodka, Market Source Real Estate, and HostGator. We're going to be telling you more about them throughout this episode. All right, let's do this. I want to personally welcome each and every one of you out today to episode 379 of I Am Salt Lake Podcast. I know there might be one or two of you listening for the very first time. I want to welcome you to the family. Thank you so much for downloading the show. If you're asking yourself, though, what am I about to listen to? What is I Am Salt Lake Podcast all about? Well, this podcast is all about showcasing awesome people right here in Salt Lake City. We're talking to musicians, authors, restaurant owners, breweries, distilleries, all the good stuff right here in Salt Lake City. I think you guys get the idea. Anyone that might have a cool story to share. My name is Chris Hollifield, and I am here with my beautiful co-host, Chrissy. How are you doing over there today? Oh my gosh, I'm, I am loving today because it is beautiful and sunny outside. I don't want to be in here doing this podcast. I want to be out enjoying this beautiful weather. I know, I know, and we will. So let's get through this. Let's get through this, and then we'll go outside and we'll frolic. Today on the podcast, we actually got to sit down and talk with Christine Stenquist. She's the president and founder at Truce. We get to find out her story and what led her to become one of Utah's largest cannabis advocates. And we get to talk to her about the struggle of making cannabis recognized as a medicine here in the state of Utah. We talked Prop 2, and of course about the upcoming Utah Can that City Weekly is putting on. We're going to be jumping into that conversation here in just a minute. And of course, we're recording today right in beautiful downtown Salt Lake City in our podcast studio that is located right in the back of Empire Merchandise. Empire Merchandise is located at 680 South State Street. Now, not only does Empire have an amazing selection of vape juice in vape accessories, but this is where you can come and purchase your very own I Am Salt Lake podcast t-shirt. Stop on in, check this place out. It's a great addition to downtown Salt Lake City. And if you want to stay on top of what's going on in the world of I Am Salt Lake, we also want to invite you to go sign up for our email list. It's an easy way to stay up to date. Just head right on over to IamSaltLake.com forward slash email, and that will forward you to our email sign up. Hey, before we jump into this conversation with Christine Stenquist, we're going to tell you about one of our awesome sponsors, Market Source Real Estate. Guys, if you love the charm and character of old homes, you need to contact our friends Monique and Jeremy Higginson of Market Source Real Estate. For the past 17 years, they have been specializing in helping people buy and sell homes in the Sugar House and Greater Salt Lake area. They have a great background of flipping houses and they've owned almost two dozen homes themselves. So they really know the ins and outs of older homes. And if you're looking to sell your home, Market Source Real Estate specializes in helping sellers update or repair their homes to increase their value and make sellers more money. And if you're looking to buy an old home, they really know what to look for in older homes so you don't end up buying a money pit. Their website, thinksaltlakecity.com. Go check it out. Or just give them a call, 801-810-6773. And many thanks to Market Source Real Estate for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. 
Let's jump into that conversation that we had with Christine Stanquist when she came and sat down with us and talked to us all about cannabis. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. Now, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Utah or out of Utah? I was born and raised in Miami, Florida. Oh, wow. Yep. I have roots here in Utah. My mother was born and raised in Ogden. Her family's from Ogden. We're the Marriott's. We have my family settled Marriott Slaterville. So we have some deep roots here. So what? I was the distant cousin that grew up in the cool place in Miami. What brought you from Miami to Salt Lake or was there somewhere in between? I moved out here when I was going through a divorce. Okay. Okay. And I, I needed space and this is where I moved. I knew I had some extended family that lived here and yeah, at 19, 20 years old, I moved out here with my young and and start a new life. And here you are and you're you're mm-hmm. up to all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh right? dear. Yeah. <laughs> here we are twenty seven years later. You're I'm going, it what the heck? <laughs> yeah. Well no, and, and and we'll get into that here on, yeah. on the recording. I mean it's it's truly an honor to bring you on the podcast. You've at, you've been on the list to bring on, but I've always kind of you're kind of a superhero in my eyes of, of everything you're doing here oh. with with the uh with the cannabis movement and uh everything. So let's jump right into that actually because there we can get into so much with yep. what's going on here in the state of Utah with cannabis. How did you get introduced to it? Like, what? I know. I, what's the best way to start I mean, the what's store? Your story, like, how did you eventually? What's the origin story? How did you find <laughs> cannabis? The start of my journey for medical cannabis really started um, back in 1996. At the time, I was 24 years old. I had been living here in Utah for about four or five years. I was working at Lakeview Hospital in Bountiful. At the time, that particular day, I was having a migraine and I called it, I was walking specimens from the emergency room into the lab and I called out to a colleague, I said his name and then I passed out and I woke up in the emergency room surrounded by my colleagues. I was in a patient position and that was a little alarming. During the process of trying to figure out why I passed out, they discovered a mass and my the radiologist at that hospital didn't think it was much to be concerned about. I, however, disagreed, and I got copies of my CT scan, took it to my physician, and said, we've been dealing with migraines for, with me for years. Is this the source? Could this be the source? And he wasn't sure, sent me to get an MRI, asked me to stay nearby. Later on that evening, he called me into his office, and he told me that it was a brain tumor that they had discovered. And um, at 24, you sort of feel invincible. And so I think almost arrogantly, I said, okay, great. Now we know what it is. How do we, what do we do? What do we take? How do we take care of it? It was just bold as brass. I didn't think anything of it. Hindsight always being a little, little clearer vision. I'm shocked at how bold I was, but he says, okay, we have to do other tests to figure out what kind of tumor it is and that, and so on. I had to have surgery. They said, because of where the tumor was placed, it was really close to my brainstem And they told me to get my affairs in order. At the time, I had two children, sole custody, and so I needed to figure out who was going to be raising my babies. They gave me a 50% survival rate with the complications of what this surgery might do. While I was in surgery, uh, they hit a blood vessel after getting 40% of the tumor out, and I started to hemorrhage, and I slipped into a coma. And I was there for about four days and slipping kind of in and out. I had coded a couple of times. When I finally came to, I had stroked. And so I had left side weakness. I had, I spoke like a stroke victim, a lot of slurred speech, tremendous amount of pain. 
I had lost the hearing in my left ear. And um, they told me they left 60% of the tumor. Um, because it was a benign tumor, they chose not to compromise my facial nerve. My tumor sits on my facial nerve, my hearing nerve, and my equilibrium nerve. So this was a complication for me because I couldn't go back to work. I I was the sole care provider for my little family, my me and my two children. I was a newly divorced divorcee, and I had no way to really provide. So I had to file for disability. I filed for state assistance and food stamps and went on housing. And that began my journey for the next 16 years. For 16 years, I was pretty much bedridden and housebound. Um, the pain that I suffered was just its so intense. It was just unbelievable. Through those years, I've got multiple diagnoses. I, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, mostly because they couldn't really trace down why I was always in pain. I was diagnosed with complicated migraines, um, hemicranium continuum. It sounds like a fa- fancy little name, but it is one of the sources of my pain. I also have trigeminal neuralgia, which is a facial nerve pain, and that affects my face, my right above my eyebrow, on the cheekbone, and on the uh, jawline. Those three branches of nerves going into my face are constantly sort of electrified, and they feel like they're on fire all the time. So there's times where my face feels numb, like it has an ice cream headache constantly, and I have those kinds of attacks. With trigeminal neuralgia, most of the patients who are diagnosed with that um, are terminal. It's it's forever. It doesn't go away. They don't know the source and they don't know how to alleviate the pain. And it's also dubbed a suicide disease. This leads me to my point of why I wanted to try cannabis. I had been in a pain cycle in 2011 at the end of that year going into 2012. I was not able to get out of bed. I wasn't eating. And I had hit a point where I was contemplating not being here on this plane of existence anymore. The pain and the suffering had been too much. I had I'd had enough. I had done something foolish. and I cut on myself and my husband took me to the emergency room. And the doctor says, well, we can give you something for the pain. And I, I was at this point wanting to get off of the narcotics. I was on a fentanyl patch. I was getting dilaudid for shots. I was on Percocet two or three pills a day on top of the fentanyl. Um, I was on depress antidepressants. I was on anti-anxiety medication, anti-spasmatics. I was barely existing. And I said, no, I don't want any more pain shots. I want to be off of this stuff. Said, There's nothing that I can give you that will alleviate your pain tonight. And that's when I knew I had to come up with another choice, an alternative. How many years were, was this before? I mean, because you said 2012. Mm-hmm. So 1996. So, I mean, you've been on all these pain pills for like 10 years. I was on them for 16 years. 16 years before you tried cannabis. Correct. Wow. 16 years. And I had actually, you know, worked my way up to being on a fentanyl patch and getting dilaudid shots and that kind of thing. Many times during those years, I would have to go into the hospital and do a detoxing where they would sort of wean me down to a level because I'd hit the ceiling. You know, yeah. your body you build acclimates. Up a tolerance and then you'd need more and more and more. Exactly. Ugh. So your body acclimates to the dosage. It, it processes it differently. And so you you don't get relief, you know, it, and the detoxing itself is so incredibly painful. And it's, you know, I was lucky because I'm in the hospital and I have support meds, you know, they're giving mm-hmm. you fluids and everything else, but it's withdrawal nonetheless. Yeah. And, and your body hurts and it craves the things that 
your physician has gotten you addicted to. Well, and even um, like that, that amount of painkillers for that extended period of yeah. time probably creates additional health issues, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, absolutely. I, well, you guys can see me in studio, but I am, I am 70, 80 pounds lighter than I was. I have oh, lost wow. a significant amount of weight. I mean, I'm back to where I was when I was diagnosed. I because I can be more active, I can sleep, I can eat, um, and that's that's kind of the journey that happened for me. So I'm miserable. I'm not doing well. My I'm my husband's having to take me to the bathroom. He's having to carry me to bathe me. I'm barely keeping applesauce down or or insure down. We're talking about. What are the other steps that need to be taken if I'm having to get IV fluids? Are we talking about a feeding tube? What's what's happening here? I tell my doctor that I, I want to try cannabis. I want to see if cannabis will help stimulate my appetite and I can start taking my pills again. What year was this? This is 2012. Okay. So this is the very end of 2011, that winter into 2012. And my physician, and and I had also said to him, you know, there's this substance called spice and it's supposed to be legal cannabis that you can buy in the smoke shop. I remember that. Do you remember? Yeah. That stuff's horrible. It is. It's not cannabis for anybody who's listening. It's poison. Stay away from it. But in my ignorance, I mean, a housewife, you know, I'm I'm a soccer mom, you know, like I don't, I didn't know any, but I just heard, you know, I was hearing these things and he says, well, don't try any, my physician said, don't try anything legal. Don't use that stuff. I'm going to send you to another pain clinic and they'll start you on another therapy. So he sent me to a pain clinic and that pain clinic saw me that day because at the po- that point I was kind of just writhing and constantly, I was in cyclical vomiting. So I was constantly vomiting. They sent me to a pain clinic and they started me on a substance called Marinol. It's an FDA approved drug, synthesized THC. Which is ridiculous. Yes, but don't do anything legal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we can even maybe get me, more into Marinol here a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we but. can. So I started that therapy, and about two weeks into it, I had to discontinue. The side effects of that prescription was just too much. I couldn't. But before I did, I started searching online about cannabis and Marinol, and just wanted to read what other bloggers were writing, just wanted to see if other people were having experiences. I had to get outside of my little world. I you mean, I lived in a bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I lived in a bedroom. As I started to research online, I was reading terminology like whole plant access. I was reading terminology like a full cannabinoid profile, all these weird terms. You know, it just didn't, I didn't understand what cannabinoids were, what are terpenes, trying to figure out what this plant is doing. I discovered that Marinol is probably not the best thing for me, but I needed to get my hands on real cannabis. How do I do that? I, I didn't even know where to start with that. Most but people don't. They don't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, but the first thing I did do is I made a phone call to my dad. My dad, dad raised me a good portion of my life, especially in my young years. And um, I'm pretty close to him. And I called him and I said, hey, dad, I, I want to use cannabis. And this is important to the story because my father's a narcotics officer. Which I've heard, which is nuts. It is so my father- Not here in Utah. Not here no, in Utah. Okay, okay. No, in a real dangerous place, Miami. <laughs> okay. So, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, no, it's, that's He fair. did one of the largest cocaine busts in Miami on, on the marina. So I can say without a shadow of a doubt, my father has seen some pretty horrendous- I've heard stories yeah. and, and it's, mm-hmm. it's secondhand PTSD kind of thing. It's just wow. awful. Just for context for the listeners, for a little history, Miami had the criminally insane- and dumped on their shores from Cuba in the 70s and 80s. And that's when I grew up. And that's when daddy was a narcotics officer and did undercover work. 
So that's it's kind of the height of everything. That's the height of, wow. yeah, of Scarface, the whole thing. Wow. And so for me, getting my dad's perspective on this substance, I felt like I was going to a source that would understand. I've learned a lot since what, what 2012. Did, what did your dad say? Do you care to share? <laughs> oh, he, was he was he, he pro? Was, was he? He was absolutely supportive. Yeah, he was supportive right out of the gate. He says, "You know, Chrissy, they're talking about that kind of stuff here in Florida. I'm mm-hmm. seeing news articles, news reels, and you know, there's all these old people down here, Chrissy. All the snowbirds, you know, live, yeah. mm-hmm. retire in Florida. So it's all the." elderly people that are like, wait, what are we? Oh yeah. So it was kind of, I was shocked at first and, and I cried too. I was like Mm -hmm. to have that approval for, yeah, you should try anything. If it works, fantastic. Like that's great. So um, I said, but dad, I live in a state where it's not legal. And he laughed (laughs) and said, oh, Chrissy, I'm sure you can find a bag of cannabis somewhere in, in Utah. I'm sure there's a bag. Not very hard. <laughs> like, but it's harder than people think. When you look conservative leaning or you just look like a mom. People are afraid of you if you for, ask. For pot. And they're like, are you a cop? Exactly. Yeah. No, but grandpa is. Um, <laughs> so it, it was hard. So what I, oh goodness. What I had to do is I turned to my teenage daughter. Yeah. I said, honey. Does any one of your friends smoke cannabis? Do they smoke weed? And that's a double-edged sword too. Oh, yeah. Um, Because when I just told her, quite frankly, I want to try cannabis and Mm -hmm. the choice is buy the real cannabis or I'm going to go to the smoke shop and see if this legal cannabis will work. And she's like, mom, that stuff's not real. The legal spice. Yes. She's like, mama, that stuff's not real. Don't touch that stuff and I will find somebody. And she did. Another little teenage friend of hers. Now, these guys are 19, so sure. I don't want to paint a... These no. are all graduates, right. but they're still teenagers. They're 19. I'm sure they were smoking it before 19. So her little friend came over and she showed me how to put cannabis in a pipe and smoke it up and use it for the first time. She helped us get our first bag of cannabis. And then her little friend, my daughter's friend, would come over often, like two or three times in the week and just sit and visit with me in my bedroom because I... I wouldn't leave my bedroom. So like for like three or four days, well, it was almost a week. I had a towel rolled up at my door and I wouldn't let my kids come down the (laughs) hall. I was terrified. I was so, so panicked at what was going to happen to them or me or what if somebody outside smelled it, you know, like we'd lose our house and our kids and our dog or, you know, it just... You, Fear. You, you felt like a criminal Absolutely. for just trying to feel good. Exactly. And it it made it screwed with my head a little bit. Oh, yeah. The first time I used cannabis within seconds of using it, my nausea subsided. Yeah, I believe it. And I wasn't quite expecting that. Um, that's what the goal was. I thought it would take a few. I didn't know. I mean, and there was a time before that I had used cannabis in a, in a more leisure setting. Re- recreational setting. Yeah. When I was much, much younger, I used mm-hmm. to manage a band. So the, there's the context. So I'll just leave it at that. But I never, it was never done in, in a, you know, one or two doses or hits back in the day. And I was fine. This was a whole different sort of ball game. So when I st- first started using the cannabis, I started documenting. Like I took one hit. I felt good for, you know, 15, 30 minutes. I'd write down the time. Started took the hit at this time. When I felt like I needed another hit because of symptoms returning, I'd write down the time that I took another one. I did that for two weeks and I started to feel a lot better. And I don't know if I could say it was just because of the cannabis, but what it did, it helped me sleep at night. 
It created the ability for me to have an appetite. It created the ability for me to be up and be mobile. Those abling activities helped further my health. It seems like it gave you a sense of control and power over your own life that you previously didn't have. Exactly. So two weeks into this, I start walking again using my cane. I'm just in my house, but I'm using my cane again. I'm getting my strength back again because I'm sleeping and I'm able to now get nourishment in my body and keep it down. After two weeks of that, four months later, six months later, I'm driving finally again. Still got my handicap sticker, still got my cane, but I'm starting to meet people out in the community. I want to share my story that I think that nobody else knows in the whole state. (laughs) We got to tell people (laughs) that that cannabis really works. Yeah, Yeah. You're like, this is a miracle. It is. It was like, I felt like Rip Van Winkle had been, you know, like I was asleep for 16 years in this trapped in this miserable body that was so symptomatic. And then all of a sudden I smoke, you know, Snoop's weed and holy cow, it's not just a, I was, my mind was blown. I was, Mm -hmm. I couldn't, but see this, this took me on a whole different journey too. During those, you know, four to six months as I was healing and recovering, I was all over the internet reading, researching, becoming educated because I needed the why. I would, yeah. I wanted to know how and why this was working in my body. How could I articulate what was happening to me if I didn't understand the science? How was I going to convince anybody in this state that this was a path forward for patients like me who had hit a pain wall or who had hit complications with the medical world they just couldn't get answers from? Um, education. I started researching and reading not only about cannabis itself and in the present and what we know now, but the history of prohibition to me was really important. I needed to understand why it became prohibitive. And if I understood that source, I felt like I could correct that source. Mm -hmm. And when I realized the source of that was just politics, Mm -hmm. it enraged me. It enraged me that our that human race has been without this substance for 90 years. It was very racial too. Oh, it, it absolutely very, very was. Racial. It was very, and that's the thing that triggered. Racist, it was, I guess. It was, it was, even, yeah. it, 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 oh, correct. That was yeah. the thing that triggered me is when you get down to the why and you see the political nonsense that's going on and the messaging that was going on. And then you look at our day, everyday politics that we're experiencing now, it's the same stuff. Yeah. It's the same stuff. And we're seeing messaging and propaganda getting, pushed out into our communities like it's fact. And I wanted to correct that false narrative. It was really vital to me that we corrected that this is not a gateway drug. It had been disproven. I needed to correct it had medicinal values. I needed to correct that it wasn't going to make black men rape white women. Which which they were telling. That's what they were telling everybody in the 30s. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So there was a whole, and not just that, but just sort of the, the racism behind the drug war in itself. And I felt like my story lent itself to that narrative. My father's a narcotics officer. The drug war was announced in the 70s when he came out of the police academy. I mean, he when Nixon came to Miami, my father was guarding him. Like this whole weird mapping of my story and how it goes to the drug war and criminal justice. I felt like I just had to lend it to where we're going. Exactly. You know, it's just another voice in this course of change. Let's actually take a quick break here. We need to play a couple messages from our sponsors, uh, but then, I mean, we got a lot more we're going to get into here, Christine. So, so hang tight. We'll be right back. All right. It's that time of the podcast where we take just a couple minutes of your time and tell you about a couple of our awesome sponsors. Now, remember when you support our sponsors, you are supporting this podcast. Hey, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by five wives vodka. 
Not only is Five Wives Vodka local, but they are very, very delicious. They have three different flavors that Chrissy and I are going to tell you about. They have the original Five Wives Vodka. This is the one that pulled me in. This is the one that said, oh my gosh, you guys, this is amazingly delicious. It is made from Utah Mountain Spring Water. It's 100% distilled corn spirit and it's gluten-free. The spring is hidden in beautiful Ogden Canyon, so it's inaccessible by vehicle, so they're having to hike this water out five gallons at a time. That's commitment to deliciousness, if you ask me. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) And for those of you who like a little more spice in your drink, you have to check out Five Wives Sinful. Sinful is delicious cinnamon-flavored vodka. It's unlike other cinnamon products that leave that cinnamon candy taste in your mouth. Sinful is like a morning cinnamon roll, and it only has 76 calories per ounce. Mm-mm. There's also the Five Wives Heavenly. This is a flavored vodka with a delicious vanilla taste. Heavenly's rich, buttery vanilla flavor comes through without coating your taste buds with sugar, and this results in more vanilla and less calories. Head on over to their website, fivewivesvodka.com. This is where you can find out more information about them, recipes, all that good stuff, but just head on down to the state liquor store, Pick up a couple bottles, one for you, one for a buddy. Right? Maybe one of every flavor. When you have people visit, you have something for everybody. You're a very high achiever there. I, I am. I, I like that. <laughs> Look, I'm a good host. Or the next time you head on over to your favorite local bar, ask for Five Wives Vodka by name, because every time you take a shot of Five Wives Vodka, you are supporting this podcast. And many thanks to Five Wives Vodka for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Hey, this episode of the podcast is also sponsored by HostGator. You know, we talk to a lot of local businesses in here, a lot of people that are kind of doing their own little side hustle, and so many of them don't have a website. Blows me away because having your own website is actually very, very easy, and HostGator helps make it easy. So head on over to HostGator.com and use the promo code PODCAST. This is going to give you 30% off. We've actually been using HostGator for the past seven years to host IamSaltLake.com. And I'll tell you, I could not be more happy. They have amazing customer service. They offer a free website builder with 4,500 templates for you to pick from. HostGator is actually one of the world's most popular web hosting companies for a reason. They offer a guaranteed 99.9% uptime, an excellent user-friendly interface via cPanel, in superb pricing. Again, HostGator.com. Head on over there. Check it out. Use the promo code podcast. This is going to support us and it's going to give you 30% off of your website. So go check it out. Support them. And many thanks to HostGator for sponsoring this episode. Let's jump back into that conversation with Christine Stenquist as we talk about cannabis. Thank you so much for listening. Here we go. You know, a lot of people will ask me this, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'll, I'll try to tell them, you know, I'll, I'll try to tell them, Hey, th- you know, I believe, you know, marijuana should be legal and blah, blah, blah. And their first thing is, well, they moved to Colorado. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is why didn't at that time, especially this was back, tw- you said 2014, right? Yeah. Why didn't you just move to Colorado, especially in your condition? Mm-hmm. Cause it was legal there, right? Mm-hmm. No, in Colorado. 2014, it became I, recreational in yep. Colorado. Yep. Why didn't you go to Colorado? My family resources and everything are here. Why would yeah. I want to uproot everything I know 
because you're uncomfortable with something I'm using in my home. Well, that's, I felt that's like that what was I say. ridiculous. That's what yeah. I say too. But at the same time, you're kind of made to believe that you, that's what you're supposed to do. And I'll just tell you this right now for listeners too. Don't move to Colorado. They can't support you. They don't have the jobs. They don't have the, the housing infrastructure. They don't have the ability to house all the sick people in the United States. It is up to us to be self-sufficient within our own states. That's what Utah preaches. We are about being self-sufficient. We're not about chasing people away because we don't like the way they look. Yeah. Or what they need. At least that's not what should it be. So when I hear people say, oh, you just should leave. I think it's the rudest thing until it happens to you. It's very arrogant to say that. I think it's part of our community to challenge some of these ignorance thoughts. Well, there was a lot of that, especially on Absolutely. Facebook when, oh. when the whole Prop well, 2 thing. Well, oh, yeah. yeah, well, well, yeah <laughs> that's, just face, a, that's a whole mess in and of Facebook. itself. No, so, but during, it was like, on the dumpster fire. The, the, the Prop 2 thing, I heard that left and right, especially- oh, yeah. Yeah. From, you know, Mormon, LDS yes. people. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, well, that's mm-hmm. not very nice. Like, that just it's seems not. very rude. It's tough because they don't realize when they're saying things like that, that if something were to happen to them, like what happened to you, if if their child developed, you yeah. know, something that the only thing that could help is cannabis, it would completely change the way they looked at everything. And yeah. if they would only be open-minded enough to realize that just because it's not happening to you doesn't mean that it's not genuinely affecting other people. Well, that's where the compassion needs Mm -hmm. to come in. And that was part of my messaging in one of the very first press conferences we did with patients. That is the the driving force. You should be compassionate that people can't just up and leave. They don't have the money or the resources to. Today, right now, I would challenge anybody to get online and figure out how to find a job and how to find a location for your family to relocate. Say goodbye to your sources of support here locally and try to find those sources of support as you're being diagnosed with, I don't know, say cancer. Mm-hmm. You just got diagnosed <laughs> with terminal cancer. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah exactly. Seriously, are you kidding me with that? No, that's not compassionate. And that is certainly not the Utah way. So when people say ignorant, foolish things like that, you have to look at why they're saying it. It's a source of fear. It comes from a place of fear. They don't know what bringing cannabis program into the state is going to do. And what the opposition tried to do was drive and hit on that fear. We don't want this here. Mm -hmm. This is going to be recreational. You need to move out of here. You need to go away. We need to shun you. That's not appropriate. And that's not... That's not an adult-like thinking. Let's just be honest. That's childish. When when Prop 2 is up for debate, uh, some of the, I guess, anti-Prop 2ers put a U-Haul bus by a school saying, you know, yes. like, I remember that for, for those who don't know, it was like free marijuana for, I don't know, it was to yeah. prove that marijuana was going to be dangerous and near children and, and to scare everyone into mm-hmm. voting against it. They were trying to prove a point of what 600 yards were yeah. from a school. And so with this mobile, yeah, it, and all that, again, is propaganda. Like I would call yellow journalism, like back in the 1930s that they use, you know, Black men are going to rape white women, and and this is what's going to happen in our culture. This is what's going to happen in our culture. The kids are going to be coming out of the school and walking right into a U-Haul truck buying all kinds of brownies and suckers. Just like lollipops. We're all going to be high and LSD trips for everybody. It just was... That sounds wonderful, though. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it it was all based in fear. They were mm-hmm. trying to drive home that Prop 2 was a recreational bill, which it never was. You had to have a diagnosis on the conditions list, and you had to have a relationship with your physician to do that. The thing that drove them crazy and made them uncomfortable was the clause that we had in there. If a program wasn't up and functioning by 2021, patients could grow their own. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was to hold their feet to the fire to make sure brick and mortar got in place for our patients and they didn't dilly dally. Because that's what they're going to do. That's what they do in every single state. And that's what they that's what they did with the replacement bill. They went in and they said, you know what? We're yanking this. Uh, people who compromise says, yes, we didn't really want home grow. It was just a way to get to the table. And they undermined patient access. Now we've got this bill that's in place that bumps up against federal law in a sense that's not protected. We are now making our health departments dispense cannabis. So we are effectively making state employees break federal law. And it's, do they realize that? Yes. I told Greg Hughes. I mean, Urquhart, they me, just our care. lobbyists, we all went in there. No, they don't care because the whole point was never to actually implement a program that could be viable mm-hmm. because if there's problems, yep. delayed implementation, nobody's holding their feet to the fire. Nobody's going to be growing because they pulled that clause down because the people who compromise. They're saying you guys won, you voted for it, but it's impossible to actually follow through. Well, we didn't win, though, because they up and... Yeah, they replaced it. This is the thing, too, that I want to tell people, because there yeah. was a lot of discouraged people after this all happened, because it wasn't just my issue that, that yeah. has been poo-pooed on. We we saw Prop 2 pass, and it was the first one on the chopping block. We saw Medicaid come. It's It was the next one on the chopping block. Prop 4 will be the next one. What we have is a much deeper problem in our state, and it's apathy. It's apathy from our voters. But we ignited them by providing this opportunity to be part of Utah history and vote on medical cannabis. So they believed us, 78,000 new registered voters, historic for Utah, signed up, voted, mostly just voted for the propositions. And I, I will challenge that they showed up for, for medica- med- uh, excuse me, medical marijuana, medical cannabis, and by, by proxy just got the other two on board too because the, they were doing a lot of the signature gathering at the same time. So what I want to challenge the people to do is get involved in the politics. Sure. You have to get involved in the electoral process. You can't just show up for a voting day and expect great change to happen. You did make great change happen. You passed initiatives, three of them. That's amazing. And I think voters should applaud themselves for that. That's kind of phenomenal, but it doesn't stop there. I mean, you, really, you showed up for Super Bowl and that's it. You need to show up for for preseason. You need to show up for preseason training, which means right now. Next year is the election, 2020. I don't want to wait till November to see your face. Yeah. I need to see you getting into the caucusing. I need you to see there, be there helping find new delegates and new people to run for office and support those individuals. We need better candidates. And I don't care what party you're affiliated with. That's not my job. It's not my job to to flip seats from one party to another. My job, I honestly believe, is to empower people to take their power back. We need to start being more politically engaged in a process because we're getting screwed. When did you decide to start getting into the political process and really, I mean, because were you always interested in it? No. Yeah, okay, <laughs> For people like me who just are like, I don't even know what to do. I wouldn't know where to go. That's, I know. I was the same way. What's the medical field was sort of my heart. I wanted to be a nurse. And that's why I worked at the hospital. You know, I was working my way into nursing school and that kind of sidestepped. It was this it was trying to procure medical cannabis and trying to figure out why other states were having it legal, why we couldn't have it legal, why was it being federally illegal. Just trying to learn the minutia of that because because an issue was important to me. It woke me up to everything else. And I got caught up in the elections like everybody else. Like Obama came on the scene in, what was that, 2008? Yeah. When he first came on. Oh, I was super excited. Like, this is great. 
four years later, probably not so much great, you know, but still, I was still engaged in the process. It, it was exciting, but only around election day, mm-hmm. you know, I was one of those people I'm, I'm chiding. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't something out there that, that woke me, that mm-hmm. spoke to me that like, women's right, you know, like I it just, there wasn't something, something that like stayed that, that with was, you day to day that was, right, that was very impacting my about. life. And, and, and I think yeah. that's the key is people don't think politics impacts their lives on a daily basis. And until an issue actually does that to you, you don't do or say anything. There are those individuals who just are born with that in them. I think I've always been a bit of an underdog fighter. My friends would probably say that, but diving into the issue and the process and trying to find a bag and then how am I going to continue? How can I keep this up? I can't keep this up because mm-hmm. it's a, it's dangerous for everyone along the line. It's dangerous for the illegal grower. It's dangerous for the buyer, the dealer. It's it's dangerous for all of us along the road. You know, I, I would sit and talk with these, my dealers, and I was one of the very first patients that some of these kids, and they were kids. I mean, they were young 20-somethings that they'd ever experienced and met with. And I would take that opportunity and time and start talking to him about cannabis and what I was learning and stuff. And did you know this? Did you know? They thought it was the weirdest thing, but moving from that, just sharing that with my dealers or or whoever, I started to expand on social media. I started to go into the Facebook pages and ask people about cannabis, or I would word search and any comment that was ever mentioned about cannabis would pop up. Anybody who made an intelligent comment got a message from me. I said, Hey, my name is Christine Stemquist. I'm a brain tumor patient. I saw that you wrote and I'd screenshot whatever. What are your thoughts about it? And I would get whatever information I could from them, stored it up, and then went on to the next person. But I started trying to figure out how to be part of the process. Somebody encouraged me to go to the the convention, to the Democrat convention. Uh And I just showed up to convention and I was like, this is a weird process. What's going on here? Yeah. And you know, and I would sit in the caucus room and I don't know who was in there, but people would start walking in and I'm just watching. People were saying, does anybody have a question for the candidate? And I'm, I just impulsively, I just, yeah, I do. What are your thoughts about medical cannabis? I literally got a hush, like a, because huh, it was Sim Gill at, at the time. Oh. And I didn't even, it didn't register to me. Because people these weren't people talking about this at all. No, here, right? not yeah. at all. And so, um, he gave his statement and I thought, wow, that's, I liked what he had to say. And then the next candidate, I asked the same thing. I was like, this is just an ongoing question. And from that convention, I just started asking other people because I did mention, you know, I'm a brain tumor patient and I've used cannabis and it's absolutely changed my life mm-hmm. and I'm out of bed because of it. And I plan on pushing this issue. And people at that point in time, I think were taken back and did a little bit of the isn't she cute? Isn't that sweet? <laughs> Before it was a discussion, it's just like, what are you really getting at? You know, yeah, why are you here, So much lady? propaganda was mm-hmm. was out there that it's not actually medicinal. And so yeah. you had to like, you were a one woman team fighting that yeah. stigma. From day one. Well, within my own world, I, I, I mm-hmm. need to mention, because I think it's important to recognize there are so many supporters of medical cannabis in the state. I have been said, I've been told this and I can, I can kind of see it. I I view myself more like a catalyst. Like there were all these components that were here and I was just the thing that needed to be added to the mix to make it all come together. There are so many advocates in Utah, so many wonderful advocates who once this movement really started to get generated by me and, uh, and others, they came up full force and ready boots on the ground. So I don't, as much as I, I know my role in, in story, I don't want to discount any of those other voices and, and people because it, 
it took us creating a groundswell in Utah to make this happen. It truly did. But it did start on Facebook. It did start with me showing up to coffee shops. Um, there were um, students for sensible drug policy. There was a gentleman by the name of Zach Baker, and he started this group with another gal at the colleges. And it was just students trying to work on drug policy reform. I showed up to one of their coffee shop talks. At the time, they were working on the the um, naloxone bill. And this was back in 2014 as well. I was very interested in that. Being a patient that was on heavy opioids, there were times that when I was in the emergency room and they would give me a shot, my husband would have to like, honey, you need to wake up. You're not breathing. They won't give you any more meds. Your, your you know heart rate is dripping down really low. So I know there were accidents that have happened in this mm-hmm. state because of that. There was a need for naloxone to, to be here. And so I helped lobby that issue with Zach. He was sort of the the main advocate. He was the one that, you know, gave testimony committee and stuff. And we were just sort of a support to him as as he did that. Um, my first time I lobbied that was in front of Representative Carol Spackman Moss. And I had a group of kind of religious individuals who were working on poverty um, issues up on the hill. And we were just standing around waiting. And I told them about this naloxone bill that was about to happen. And they got very excited. And so they started sharing information. So these tiny little experiences, I was I was sort of cataloging that this is how you get involved in politics. You talk to people yeah. and you find out where they are and if they're supportive of your efforts and if they have talents that can yield it. Talking with um, Carol Spackman Moss, she short, sort of guided me to different the legislative website. She told me where certain bills were. Didn't know where any of that stuff was before. And so I could get in there and read a little bit. I would ask somebody else, like, what the heck does caucus mean anyway? I don't understand that terminology. Or what's a delegate? What does a delegate do? I just started asking people around me. But I created a, an environment where people were around me. Mm-hmm. I had to go where people were and be brave enough to openly talk about cannabis. And that's that's another question. I mean, were you I mean, how nervous were you? Were you ever afraid that you'd get arrested, that, you know, you would say the wrong thing? Mm -hmm. Oh, and I carried medicine with me all the time. There's no way that I could function out in the world without it. And so I'd have to excuse myself and I'd use my little vape pen so I could get my tremors to stop or, Mm -hmm. you know, get my nausea under control. So it was a game of learning how to use my medicine so I could just mitigate my symptoms so I can still be functional and articulate and and get my message across so they didn't think I was a stoner and still keep my symptoms under control because I mm-hmm. I people don't know it when they look at me they don't realize that I'm still a patient. You look very vibrant you're very vibrant and healthy and energetic <laughs> and it's not something that I would guess just meeting you in public. The very what you've gone through. It's a very different Christine yeah. from just 10 years ago. It's just it's been I mean this journey now has taken 7 years but 10 years ago my kids have never seen this mom. My oldest child was five when I went down. She's 27 now. What do your kids think of all this? At first, my daughter, I think, was very hesitant and reluctant. I think she didn't quite know what to make of it. My oldest son was absolutely supportive and 100% on board. He had saw He suffers from migraines as well. So when he would see me have migraines and I'm throwing up and, you know, writhing, he can relate. He's experienced it. When he saw me use cannabis and that it mitigated my symptoms, he was just blown away. And my other children that were a bit younger than those two, I think they were not quite sure what to make of it. My youngest boy is 11 right now. 
And all he's really can remember is this. For mm-hmm. seven years, mom has been advocating. He doesn't know anything else. He's like a little cannabis talking machine all the time. <laughs> like he's, he just knows the movement. And yeah. and um, I have a 19-year-old, almost a 19-year-old. For him, I think it's a little bit bittersweet. He does remember me being down and he knows those years and he remembers the emergency room visits and mom crying in the back bedroom and nobody can come over. As soon as I got well, I didn't stay home and be with him and play with him. I got out in the community and started becoming active. So for for that boy, he's a little sad that um that he's lost his mom to a movement for a while. We've reconnected and I've I've been able to talk and spend time with him and try to help him understand that the sacrifice during those years to help raise awareness in our state was so meaningful. And I know that it took my time away from him, but we were actually giving time back to other families in the state to have with each other. And it's it's going to take more time with him and more of a journey, but there is a lot of sacrifice that came with getting this movement started in Utah. I don't re- regret it because I know it all had some meaning. It's just sad that sometimes that, that has to be the consequence, that there has to be a little bit of pain and sorrow to enjoy the sweet. And that's what we're starting to enjoy here in Utah. You know, there's so many of us that have dedicated so much time to to this effort and to this movement. And um, I'm grateful. I'm yeah. grateful for all of it. I want to talk a little bit about truce just sure. because uh, I don't know a whole lot about it. And maybe I should get more active in it if people like myself are allowed to get active. Yes. <laughs> What yep. exactly is it? What does it even stand for? You bet. So I was telling you about my journey. Um, I started using um, cannabis and about six months in, I was starting to drive. Eight months after that, I found my way to Capitol Hill. I found out there was a legislator, uh, Mark Madsen, at the time Senator Madsen, was going to be running a whole plant cannabis bill. And so I made an appointment to meet with him. And he said, sure, come on in. And um, I told him my story. I brought another patient with me. She was a Crohn's patient who had a job in California and lived here um, with her husband or soon-to-be husband. He was a student at the U. So she traveled back and forth. She was also a cannabis journalist. So in California, she was a legal patient. She could use, but when she traveled to Utah, she couldn't. She was a criminal here. She was a criminal here because she couldn't use her cannabis. Cannabis put her her Crohn's in remission. And my part of the story was I'm a brain tumor patient. I can't even leave to go get that. I can't even... But the, the whole point being our disease states don't leave when we travel or cross state lines. We need to implement something that makes sense for people who travel here and people who live here. So Madsen was really impressed with our stories and said, hey, this next meeting I'm going to is about this topic. I would love for you ladies to come share that story with these individuals. We said, sure. Not knowing anything about politics still. I walked into the room and we were introduced to the Utah Medical Association the Sutherland Institute and Eagle Form. I don't know if you guys know who any of those individuals Eagle are. Eagle Form, I'm a little familiar, familiar with. <laughs> um, Sutherland Institute is basically, you know, a, a policy institute that's affiliated with the church, mm-hmm. we'll just say. And then Utah Medical Association has been against medical cannabis from the moment the epilepsy mom showed up on the hill in 2014. So they were in the room. So this was the the opposition. This is Mark was going to them to try to get their try to understanding. Them. I don't know if persuasion, but at least understanding like we're being courteous. This mm-hmm. is coming. We want 
to give you a heads up. We'll take in some input. I don't think they quite know what to make of our stories because we both are telling stories of this helped us. The gal that was there from Eagle Forum asked if she could stay and visit with us a little longer after the meeting was over. So I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. She started asking us more questions and she became a believer. She wanted to help. So she started helping in that process. She reached out to people in her conservative group. Um, She was just blown away. This lady just doesn't like pharmaceutical drugs. She's mostly about herbs and using holistic type approaches, clean, healthy living. So the idea that this herb could be used medicinally and had such redeeming qualities and properties for disease states got her excited. She was like, I want to be part of this effort. We went into that 2015 session with me and that patient. And then the gal I told you, I think off the air, there was a lady down in Utah County who heard about my story because I was doing press at the time saying that I used cannabis illegally in Utah, um, that I was a brain tumor patient and I wanted to create a program. She showed up on the hill with her little six-week-old baby and told us the most phenomenal story. She'd been diagnosed with cancer at 14 weeks along in her pregnancy, and it was lymphoma. And they, she didn't want to do chemotherapy. She wanted to give her child the best fighting chance it could. She did a lot of research and reading and found that cannabis might be a solution. So she left the state. She moved to Colorado so she could use it legally to see if it could at least put her cancer in remission while the baby was born. And then she was, you know, figure out the next steps there. She did that. She came home, had a healthy baby and saw my story. Her son, I think at the time was two or three weeks old. She showed up on the hill and started advocating with me in 2015, telling them I used cannabis. I juiced it. She was juicing it, which was phenomenal because- well, you use green, the green leafy fonts. Okay. So it's not, um, some people, when they think of cannabis, they think of the baggie that, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah. the flower that you get. Yeah. Well, this is the actual font on the plant, the, the leaves, the long leaves that you see. Yeah. yeah. It's the leaves. Yeah. You use those and you, you know, put them in a blender and juice them. And you can add that to a smoothie and stuff. Oh, wow. And that has THCA, the You've heard of THC. This is before it, heat is added. It's non-psychotropic, but has the same reparative and redeeming qualities as THC. There's a process that happens with th- this plant when heat and age happen to it. Different cannabinoids become more powerful and more potent. And so she was telling them about how juicing cannabis really helped put her cannabis in remission and it wasn't psychoactive. So we were trying to give them an idea that this there's more to this than just CBD. We wanted to expand their minds on, okay, you learned about CBD last year and thank you for passing the CBD for the epilepsy people, but even there's more people that need access, mm-hmm. you know, um, and they only passed it for two very, very rare conditions of epilepsy. So not all epileptics can use it. At any rate, they, they enjoyed listening to our stories, but it wasn't really convincing people. We we're getting the rhetoric of why don't you just move them? Why don't you leave the state? Go to a state where it's legal and really stop messing with us. Or I was actually standing there when one of the representatives said to this lady that that lobbied with us, just use it. Just use it here. Oh, wow. That was a sitting legislator telling an advocate, just break the law. Do it for your own health. Because that was the counsel that was given by an they elected probably official. All are up there well, that that could be the case, but it also it felt like to me is that there's no ownership of responsibility our elected officials wanted to take on this. They didn't want to take on a hard topic. Why? Too hard. 
That's it, it doesn't make it any sense. It used to be political suicide, I believe. Oh, absolutely. Now I think I think actually the next presidential election, I think that's going to be a it is big a huge topic. topic. It and is, if, and if you're not for it, I doubt you'll get voted in. I think the next mm-hmm. president that has, has to be to almost be. a big thing because I think that's why a lot of people voted for Obama, thinking Obama was going to legalize. It. And he was pretty harsh on cannabis users. Yeah. He did one of the highest arrests. Yeah. So well, he came I across know. in the beginning that yeah. he was pro, right? And I think if Trump, if 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 he could have one redeeming thing about him is mm-hmm. I think if you just legalized it, you know? Yeah. And I don't expect anything to happen this year. Yeah. There's over 50 pieces of federal legislation right now trying to deal with cannabis, dealing with banking, dealing. I mean, there's so many, so many bills on the Hill right now. I don't see many of those passing at all. Yeah. Um, the only one that has maybe a fighting chance is the States Act. It's by Cory Gardner out of Colorado, but I don't see that actually They've, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the Senate, you know, so we'll, we'll see what happens on the federal level. There, There is a desire for rescheduling to happen, but what that looks like and how, it, it's a mess. There's so much that they have to take care of on the federal level, and they keep pointing the, the finger to the international level. Well, the UN is not going to be ruling on cannabis until probably December, if not next March. They postponed um, ruling on descheduling cannabis earlier this year, last month, in fact. They said, we're not going to we're not going to do a vote on the rescheduling next month, which would have been April, which means that it's all delay. Everyone's but what's happening right now is there's a groundswell. There's there's a, a legitimate groundswell, not only just within our in our own state of Utah, but within the country and within globally. You know, globally we have 38 countries that have decriminalized cannabis. There's 100 and what 95 countries, something like that. Yeah. So I mean, that's not that's tiny. So if you can kind of look at the microcosm of how this has to go, I mean, it started within my own little county. I started to find people within my own little circle. I started to have the conversation. The state started to grow. And then we we just get bigger and bigger and seeing where this process kind of takes us. Do you think most people right now, I mean, there's so much information on the internet mm-hmm. and people that truly believe that it's horrible it's like, do you really think they, they think that or do you think they have to say that? Like, especially everyone on Capitol Hill. I mean, I think there's so much information of how good it is. But I also think if you are going to feed your own opinion and your own fears, you're finding material that feeds that. There's and we're confirm- all guilty like, of that. The internet is the best place for confirmation bias. Yes. If you yes! believe that it's that. bad, yes. you're going to find everything Absolutely. that says it's bad. But it just seems like so. there's more good about it. I yeah. mean, how many states are... are have medical. I mean, forty six. We have yeah, 47? we have like forty seven states um, that have some form of medical I mean, cannabis out program. Out of fifty, that's yeah. ridiculously I know. awesome. <laughs> it is. We have we have sixteen that have CBD only, and thirty two that have thirty three. I think it is now that have a whole plant program like we yeah. do, but not one of those programs. Well, is an A plus. Let's start with that. Not one of them. Those programs is a stellar program, and not not one of those programs is identical to another state. We have we have 46 different experiments going on with medical cannabis programs. It's insane. I mean, it is just it's craziness across the board. I mean, and it's indicative of every issue that the government's got its hands in though. It's just chaotic. And I realize it's not going to help everybody. Right. I, I don't know if you listen to much Joe Rogan. He had a guy on mm-hmm. recently that wrote a book uh, okay. I don't know if you listened to this episode. Gosh, I should have wrote down the name of it. But it's, it was basically saying that it was horrible and it's going to cr- create this like psychotic uh, generation if yeah. we legalize it. 
And everyone's going to have depression. Even Joe whatever. Rogan was, you know, he's obviously very pro. I yeah, mean, yeah. they smoke on the show and the whole nine yards. Sorry, by the way, we didn't have it here for you, but <laughs> we are the worst no. hosts. anyway, I do agree with him. Joe Rogan even says it's not going to help everybody. Some people actually, it isn't, but you, mm-hmm. it's same thing with pain pills. Right? Exactly. It, they're going to have a hard time with it. From my I mean, understanding, might it, not have a good pain medicine only helps 30% of the population, yeah. which is crazy because 80% of the population use it, uses it almost, you know, we, yeah. we're, it, we're so indoctrinated to popping a pill. And I've seen so many people go to the hospital because they're on pain medication. Like they hurt themselves, they have to go on opioids and then something happens and like, I mean, intestinal damage. Yeah. And then it's more hospitalization and it's just further and further. Yep. And, and I don't want to completely poo-poo on the pharmaceutical industry no, because no. they have their place and their purpose, but yeah, everything yeah. in life has to have moderation. And if the first thing you think of when you have an ache or pain is run to the doctor and maybe that philosophy needs to stop. Maybe there's a midpoint. Maybe there's something in between. Maybe cannabis can help a lot of patients and they don't have to venture into the doctor and drive up our healthcare costs with pharmaceuticals and procedures and everything else trying to chase down pain or phantom whatever's. It's another tool in the toolbox. I want to arm our physicians with as much as they can do. What I told my doctor when I started to get better, I said, you know, now I can go work out. Now I can exercise. Now I can eat right. Now I can. Now this gives me, it mitigated my symptoms enough that I got homeostasis, which means I was able to, I was functioning well. I want to talk about the whole, I mean, we're a medical state now here in Utah. Yes, we are. And I want to get a little bit into that here before we completely lose you here for the day. How do people go about that? I mean, obviously I realize you're not a lawyer. This isn't legal advice, but I don't think a lot of people realize they can go get a recommendation from their doctor. Yes. So I can, I mean, I'm not giving Uh, legal advice. I'm just telling you what's the law. So that's not, and I know you were very part of it. So you're going to know a lot more than I do. So where we are right now in, in Utah um, with the current law that's in place, a patient needs to get a recommendation from their physician. Recommendation is only able to be gotten if you have some of the disease states that's listed there, or you suffer from pain longer than two weeks. You have to have a relationship with your physician already, meaning, you know, you're not supposed to be going around just doctor shopping, trying to find that one doc. The problem we're running into is not all physicians are wanting to write recommendations. The way the verbiage is written in the law, there's a clause about dosing parameters. This is giving a lot of physicians pause. That is prescribing. And a doctor can lose their license if they're prescribing cannabis. It's federally illegal for them to do that. They can talk about it. They can recommend, why don't you try that? But our legislators took it a step further and they said, no, no, they have to write dosing parameters. And if they don't, the pharmacist does. In no real world do we have a pharmacist writing prescriptions for people, but our legislators and all their wisdom with HB 3001 thought that was a good little tick to put in there. We don't have that in other states. What we do see in other states was you do see the free market take that on. You do see physicians and pharmacists who decide to get educated about that and guide patients, but it's never part of their law that it has to be a dosing or recommendation parameters put in place. That was kind of jumbly, but so I'm a little confused as why why our legislators went that route if they know that doctors are not going to want to recommend and. Just I to think, create one more stumbling block for people. I think people. so. I think it's to create. So like, 
if you do get a recommendation, this is very ignorant because I don't know no, anything. Nothing's but ignorant. If, in if right someone now. was to go and get a recommendation, mm-hmm. there's no dosing, whatever. Do, right what now, do you do? You, you go have to a pharmacist affirm- and you say, "Hey, could you please write dosing here for no, me?" Or like, no, no, no. What, what we have right now, let me explain. And this is probably where the confusion is. Yeah. We're in this weird little phase right now where we don't have an actual program in place. Meaning, the health department isn't up and running. You can't go and get your health, you know, your recommendation yeah. card. You have right now what is called an affirmative defense letter. It's just saying the doctor's stating yes, they have this condition, and if they if the you know the program was up and functioning right now, they would be able to get a recommendation. Okay, so it's a little looser right mm-hmm. now, but even doctors under that loose parameter don't want to write it. Well, yeah, they, because I mean, still they could get in trouble. Yeah, if well, that's changes what they do. Or if, yeah, know. and so we have some physicians in Utah who are willing to do it. I have a physician on my board who's been. I mean, my gosh, I think he's up to 200, 300 oh, wow. recommendations he's done since the passage of HB 3001 in December. So he's done a fair amount, but within his own clinic, he's had his his partner say, you know, we're going to have to kind of cap really how much. Well, well it's, if, you're, guess, yeah. if much, your practice you is just seeing these cannabis yeah. patients mm-hmm. and what you've created, what they, what they, the legislators have created is now there's only a very few select doctors who are willing to do this and take that risk, whatever the risk is perceived to be, patients are having a hard time getting in. They can't find these golden goose doctors anywhere, you know? See, and I'm proud of, I'm, I just want to give my mom props. I'm proud of her. She's a geriatric nurse practitioner. Aww. And so she is very pro-recommendation for especially geriatric people who have a of lot course. of health issues. And she was one of the first people to to write a recommendation from her what her is place. it called? Her, oh, nice. The location Work. she's at. Nice. So, go you know. mom. Yeah, Thank go you. Mom. Woo. Woo. <laughs> Yay. No, <laughs> we need supporters. I, I think it's really hard. The nice thing I think for, I'm going to give Dr. Talbot a shout out. The nice thing about Dr. Andrew Talbot is he has taken over 40 hours of CME courses on cannabis. He has been taking the, the time and the energy and the effort to educate himself because he saw this coming. He's been doing it over the past year and a half or more. I appreciate physicians that take that on, that see and recognize that the patient population is changing. This is something that's going to be coming to his practice, and he wanted to get ahead of it. He wanted to be there for his patients. I would encourage and challenge any physician, any nurse practitioner that can hear me right now, do that. Be preemptive. Get educated about this substance and join us. We need your voices. We need to hear what doctors are concerned about in this process, because I think that might help us write better legislation that makes it comfortable for patient and physicians. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters is the patient and the physician relationship, not the legislative relationship between a constituent. That is is such an amazing point. Yeah. I mean, you never hear people talking about that, that the doctors need to actually get involved and get educated and and come to the aid of the patients. We need to honor that relationship that goes on between doctors mm-hmm. and patients and even caregivers. You know, there's a lot of people in our in our world. Epilepsy Association of Utah is sort of my partner in crime. They're they're the first patient advocacy group that was out there. And this will bleed into why truce and who truce is. Yeah. But they were the first advocacy group out there on the hill advocating. They were the ones that brought the C B D only legislation to the Hill in 2014. I approached Doug Rice, who is now the sitting president of that organization. And I said, we need to keep partnering. We need to partner. I know that your patient population needs greater access than CBD only. And then he told me and shared his story about his daughter who is nonverbal, has epilepsy, 
and they went to Colorado. She's on CBD oil. He gave her a gummy with THC in it, and she went without seizures for two days. He's like, I, I agree with you, Christine. We have to do that. And so these two organizations have, have built a coalition to help raise awareness about this issue. When we were advocating in 2015, we saw a need and a desire to sort of label us patients, our group, these, these people I was finding on the Facebook. I was plopping into a Facebook group. And I, um, a friend of mine, somebody who was an advocate, we went to an ad agency. Shout out to Super Top Secret. I'm just giving all kinds of plugs. I hope you don't I love, mind. No, I love this it. This is fantastic. I love right? it. <laughs> Shout out to Super Top Secret because they were just blessed their hearts. I walked in and I said, listen, this is the what I've created. This is the group. I want, it's a group. It's a melting pot. We've got Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Green Partiers. We've got people who are atheists and people who are theists. I've got Mormons, non-Mormons. All types are part of this group. Help me create us. And they gave me a bunch of different ideas and stuff. And we came up with TRUCE. And TRUCE is an acronym for Together for Responsible Use in Cannabis Education. I want to help promote what responsible use of cannabis is like. And that doesn't mean, for those who are listening, that doesn't just mean medical. Um, I am supportive of what adult use can look like. I know that our state's not ready and prepared for that. But when we are, sure as hell, truth is going to be there. We want to be there to help champion that. We believe that cannabis is a better substance for an adult use than alcohol is. You know, and not to poo-poo because I know who supports you guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, no, it's, hey, I get well, it. But I, all things. Yeah, right? <laughs> but I want to I be there for that conversation. So Together mm-hmm. for Responsible Use in Cannabis Education fit. It felt comfortable with us. Um, they were very conscious of the fact that I wanted to stay away from the leaf and the, the, the overtones of the cannabis movement. Because we were in Utah, and I was really searching those caregivers out. I was looking for those moms and and the female voice to come up because we really truly are the caregivers of our family. And I felt like if, if moms could get on board with this and, and really say, Hey, there's, there's a responsible thing that's happening here and we can really do this. I, I, that's why I felt truce could exist. And yeah. so how can listeners, could they get involved with truce yes, at all? Like we have, what's the story there? Yes, we have a volunteer group and we're starting to open it up. It was kept really small in the very beginning because I they were just my little lobbying team. And now we're trying to open up our, our volunteer group a little more. You can find us on Facebook, but you also can find us on our website is truceutah.org. And on our website, on the volunteer, it has a whole list of things that we're looking for. And you go on there and you click whatever talents, skill sets, assets that you may have that you feel like this movement can provide and we'll call on you if we need it. And we have, we've had a lot of people reach out lately. They're like, I need to be more involved. We're doing panel events. We do a lot of panel events. We'd like to get out and do more community events with people. We need more foot soldiers though. I can't be all over the state tabling, but we can start getting more patients educated. We're going to be at Utah Can. Yeah, I was just going to ask, actually. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. Con- or It's not a conference. It's a, it's it's a convention. Convention conference yeah. deal. It's, yeah. So it's put on by City Weekly. Mm-hmm. So I got to give a shout out yeah. to them, too. Yeah. City Weekly is putting it on. Um, John Saltis is a gem and a half. He came to us last year and said, hey, we're going to put this thing together. And I was terrified. I'm like, no, don't do this. Like the conservatives will freak out if you're bringing a cannabis convention here right before election. Don't do this. And he says, no, it's going to be great, fantastic. And he threw it, and it was lovely. He brought in fantastic speakers and researchers, vendors, and all kinds of stuff to uh, surrounding cannabis and hemp. 
and he's doing it again this year. But this time it's bigger. It's I heard, bigger. Right? He's having it at the he's having it at the fairgrounds, Salt Lake Fairgrounds. It's on May tenth and eleventh, and I think they both both days start at nine in the morning. And since your listeners are listening to me, if you go to their website, the Utah Can um, website, and plug in Truce nineteen. You can get a discount on your tickets for cool. this. Awesome. So if you have put truce in all I'll caps. Put, uh, the link at IamSaltLake.com with this episode. Fantastic. So that way, if you didn't write that down in as yeah. well as the truce 19, you yeah, said? Yeah, truce 19. So 2019 and then the word truce. T-R-U-C-E. Yep. All caps. And you get a discount and we'll be there. Um, I'm bringing uh, former Senator Urquhart. I'm hoping that Sim Gill will be there. We'll have, you know, one of our people will be on panels. They'll have lots of panels there. They'll have guest speakers who are from across the country that can really articulate what's happening in the cannabis movement. Because we are, we're kind of young here in Utah Mm -hmm. to the scene. We don't know a lot. And this is our effort and our hope to get people educated about the process so that we can eliminate some of the fears. Maybe I'll have to bring, we'll bring some portable recording equipment maybe and, and get um, some conversations really cool. with, oh with Sam yes. and Steve. And I really Absolutely. need to get John Solstice in here too you for, do. for an interview. You should and get him in here before the, the May. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Let's call him right now. Yeah. No. no he's, well, he's been. I mean, even hearing his story of how he started City Weekly with like a newsletter and oh, back yeah. in like it wasn't in the seventies. I don't know. We could save that for his story. But, yeah. Uh, but he's been amazing supporter, and that's what that's what I'm coming to realize is I didn't know I had him as a supporter until yeah. last year. He just reached out and said, "Hey, we're going to do this thing," and he was so gracious and kind about it. You know, he's he like, "I don't want to hurt the movement." You know, he was trying to be very good. He did it. Such a beautiful job at that convention. I was really impressed with him and his team and all the volunteers that helped. There. Was there a good turnout? A lot of people coming. I would. To I would have loved to have seen more, and that's why I'm doing all the shouting out on on your show. Sure. Yeah. Um, I just. I think there was a lot of reasons why people weren't there, but we. I think now that it's legal. There won't be as much hesitation to participate in some of these things. A lot of people are afraid to talk about it. There, I know there was mm-hmm. even a time I was afraid to bring it up because yeah. you, if you talk about it, then all of a sudden you're labeled as a Your user. Target. Yeah. I don't think everybody who talks about it is a user. Right. Well, and and what is the negative connotation with being a user? I'm a user. Yeah. I, we're challenging what a user looks like. Now. Well, I come from the Nancy Reagan era. Of <laughs> so just do I. say no. I you know, the eighties was, was a my, wonder. Yeah. I, I've actually heard they took away that from the Dare program. Is that correct? I don't know. I do think you, do so. you know much about that? I don't know much about it. I think that just it, say no is no longer. Yeah. Is that even a taught thing? I don't no. know. But just a couple of years ago when my daughter yeah, was in middle she school, she brought some crazy problems. Home, home some propaganda home yeah. about marijuana and it had it had skulls and crossbones on it it was it was great my die. kid brought them home too i just take them as opportunities that we sit down and we chuckle <laughs> laugh but because that's that that responsibility should be falling on to us as patient as parents too is yeah we know that something is different than what is being taught in schools what truce would really like to do is Start working with some community leaders on getting proper education into the schools because what we're teaching our children are lies. And I don't want to keep propagating that. We need we need to put the the truth out there because when we do, then we are going to have our children not using it. We don't want mm-hmm. our kids, if they don't have a medical need, we don't want our children using it before they're 25. Right. There's Our brains are developing. If there is a medical need, for heaven's sakes, yes, any patient, any, I don't care, 12 weeks old you know 112 i don't care 
but we do need to talk, teach what is proper use. And if we are teaching this fear mongering that we've, you lives, and I survived lives, yeah. the eighties, if we're teaching that type of tactics, we're not going to get anywhere. Uh, well, it sounds so. like a great first step is for everyone to go to the, you, you, you can't, you talk can. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's scary though about this, Christine, and what I worry about is all these years of lies Yeah. about if you use marijuana, all of a sudden you're going to be on the streets with needles in your arm. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a gateway drug. And so what's, what I'm afraid is going to happen is people are going to be like, well, I've been lied to all these yeah. years about marijuana. So let's use heroin. Let's yeah. use, I, you know, and, and so I think we need yeah. to stop the lies. We do we need to stop it. And I yeah. think we're doing that. Yes. And I, one of the things, one of the taglines that I said to all of our advocates when we were starting out was this conversation has to start at the kitchen table. I can't take you on the hill to advocate your issue if you can't even talk to your children, yeah. your spouse, your parents. I said, those are the those are the hardest conversations to have. Talk there first. And when you can get comfortable, at least start the conversation, then you're ready to move on. And not every person you engage with is going to have the same response to you, but it gets you a little more prepared with the arguments. It makes you challenge yourself and say, do I really feel this way? Am yeah. I educated enough on this? Do I know all the concerns that, that surround it? People just need to educate themselves. We can't just rely on our neighbors to make good choices for us. We can't. I could sit here and talk with you all day, obviously, but <laughs> yeah. we, you know, we got to kind of wrap this up eventually right here, Christine. Yep. <laughs> but uh, and I know you probably got to get out of here, but there's a couple of, of Salt Lake, Utah related questions I have to ask Absolutely. you. Otherwise I'll get, get hell from our listeners. <laughs> if somebody was visiting Utah, mm-hmm. say this weekend, Salt Lake City area, mm-hmm. what's the Christine tour? I know this is totally a different direction here, but uh, I'm always curious what people recommend, like buildings, areas of town. I don't know. Is I there... love downtown and Sugar House area. Yeah. I really love the ninth and ninth. I mean, if people were going to come into Salt Lake, I'm still learning now. I have to remind your listeners, I was bedridden and housebound for 16 years. So Guess you're what? still like discovering I'm discovering things. Salt yeah. Lake. I'm discovering the state. I mean, it was 2014 was the first time I made it out of the state in years and years and years since I moved here. I hadn't even been to Zion's until like two and a half years ago. So I am discovering it all for the first time too. So I I get to fall in love with Salt Lake and everything that's beautiful about that's Utah. That's awesome. I love Park City. Right now I love going up there just because the air is clean. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's a good place to breathe. Yeah. It's, it's just nice. It's beautiful. It's just, there's so many different places that I've been to just recently that I'm enjoying. So what about favorite local eating spots? I just went to a Lebanese restaurant. I think Derek Kitchen. Oh yeah, L- oh, Lazis. Yes. Lazis. Oh my gosh, it's that was so divine. Good. Yeah. Holy cow! I'll be coming. I back, love those Derek. guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was phenomenal. I love Oasis. I've that's always been such a good place for me. I'm trying to think what other places are there good to eat. Oh goodness, there's so many. There are. I, I realize that the little small plate places, Evie's or Eva's. Oh, Eva's. Uh, on Main Street. Yeah. yeah. And there's a noodle place over there. Oh, see, like I'm getting hungry now. <laughs> it's it's oh a question gosh. I ask everybody. <laughs> and you know, what's really fun is we get listeners that they're making lists of this, right? Because like, they want to know down. Christine's recommendations. Yep. I know we have a final question that we ask, Chrissy asks everybody that comes through here, but mm-hmm. is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wished we would have. And I know we could have gone down so many different yeah. rabbit holes with cannabis and, and the benefits and, and all the awesome things about mm-hmm. it, but we'll just bring you back through here. Is there anything you wanted while we're recording? 
I would just challenge anybody that's listening is not to give up hope. I know it seems like politicking is an arduous affair. It just seems so daunting and like you do one step forward and two steps back, but that's how you win. You just, you get knocked down and you keep getting up and keep going. Every year I was knocked down on the hill, you know, nothing got passed, but here we are, we've got some kind of cannabis legislation and we're not done yet. So my challenge is, is to tell people not to give up. And I actually forgot, how can listeners get a hold of you? What's like a website? Yes, email, the what, website what? Um, is www.truceutah.org. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter and on Instagram. Our Facebook is the most active. We have a daily blog. We are pumping out research. We're telling you about policy. We're telling you about historical stuff. We're sharing patient stories on our, on our Facebook. We're really in trying to encourage a community there so that we can build from that. And if you message that our admins will answer me or several others will, Communicate will answer with you. Yeah. We're trying to build the community. And I urge all listeners get involved. I Absolutely. mean, honestly, even, even just come to the cannabis uh, convention. Yes. Utah can. What May 10th, 11th, I May think. 10th and 11th. It's a okay. Friday and a Saturday. I think that's mother's day weekend. Oh, perfect. Tell mom yeah. you'll be back. You'll be I'll there. Be, on I got Sunday, a trip mom. for you. Come on. But yeah, bring mom down, bring grandma down, auntie down and come learn about cannabis. You, I promise you, you will be amazed. The research, the last time I, the last one last year, they had a whole library, a whole just bookstore of cannabis books that you can purchase. There was lots of vendors that were willing to take time to talk to you about different things, different um, industries involving cannabis. So just come on down. It will be fun. Chrissy has a final question. She asks everybody that comes through here. So we're going to end it with her question here. If you could leave our listeners with one piece of life advice or a motto that you live by, what would you say to them? If suffering is the human condition, let compassion be the cure. Many thanks again to Christine Stenquist for joining us on this episode of the podcast. You can find all the links to connect with her by visiting IamSaltLake.com forward slash 379. Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9, amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. And it is time for weekly recommendations, my favorite time of the podcast. We got some great weekly recommendations for you this week, and these are recommendations that come from inside of us, right? Like they're not (laughs) sponsors. They're just something that we enjoy or something that we would recommend to our friends. And I think it's turned into a fun little segment on the podcast. It's almost like a a gratitude practice, you know? Well, a lot of times it's like, well, what should I share this week, right? Like Uh sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to share that because people are going to judge me or people (laughs) are going to think differently of me. Uh, But my weekly recommendations, so this might have even been back in the fall time, even October, November, right? When I was doing New Year's resolutions and I was like, hey, does anybody have recommendations because I want to get into meditation? Well, of course, everybody recommends, you know, apps like Calm App and, and I, Headspace, Headspace. Yeah. Right. And I think they want like $50, right, mm-hmm. to, uh, for a membership. And I'm the type of person where it's like, well, I don't even know if I'm going to like meditation, right? I found this great podcast. It's called Meditation Minis by Chell Hamilton. I think that's how you pronounce her name. It's free, right? Right in your podcast app. However, you're listening to this, go search it, go check it out. And what's great about these is they're short little 10 to 15 minute meditation sessions. I love it. And, and I've been getting, I, I get about three times a week right now that I'm meditating. 
I think it's helping. I don't know. The way I look at it is it just gives me 10 minutes to uh, get away from the world for a little bit. Oh, yeah, totally. Go check it out. Meditation Minis. Great little podcast. Free meditation. I'm a fan. It's also a really cute name, Meditation Minis. Ah, I want to buy it. So my recommendation this week is the Brene Brown special on Netflix. It is so incredible. And to be fair, I've only made it halfway through because we watched it really late at night. We keep falling asleep. (laughs) We keep falling asleep because we're getting old. But it was just like mind-blowingly inspiring. And I was actually had my phone open and I was taking notes the whole time. So, oh. You know what I love about this though, Chrissy, is you're not, I don't look at you as a big self-help type of person, right? Self-development and Mm. motivational type person. I tend to be very leery. And so the fact that you love this, like I think Brene Brown is excellent. And actually, I know I'm not allowed to give an, I'm going to give another recommendation here. Go listen to the Brene Brown interview on WTF with Mark Maron. It's not necessarily Mark Maron's most amazing interview, but it was just a fascinating conversation because I don't know a lot about Brene Brown. And yeah. so I want to find out more about her. Sorry to interrupt yeah. your No, your you're good. I mean, and this is interesting. I am one of those people that I'm more skeptical. I think there's a lot of fluff surrounding the industry, right? There is. But Brene Brown just cuts through the shit. She's genuine, she's authentic, and she makes everything genuinely entertaining. Like she's funny, clever, insightful. Everybody needs to just follow her. And I, and I would be surprised if somebody listening right now doesn't have Netflix. So just go pull just it up go and, do it. And, and check you it You know out. Brene Brown. Go find her. And that's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget to support our show sponsors, Five Wives Vodka, Market Source Real Estate and HostGator, and KRCL. We'll have the links for them at our website under the notes for this episode, which you can find at IamSaltLake.com. And don't forget to get on our email list. It's really easy to do. IamSaltLake.com slash email. That way you can get our weekly newsletters and everything I Am Salt Lake related. And if you want to send us letters, packages, cookies, or candy, you can send it to P.O. Box 4412, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84110. And if you mail us stuff, we will talk about it here on the podcast, you guys. Yeah, we'll open it in our mailbag section. But you guys have a great week. Get out and enjoy the city. It's a beautiful time of the year here. Support local, and we're going to see you on that next episode. And good night, Grammy. Grammy.